Hello, and welcome back to When in Doubt Pick C. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Jones. And I'm Sophie Lee. On this podcast, every episode, we present a multiple choice question, discuss all the answers, and then give you our verdict. So, Sophie, what is the question of this episode? The question of this episode is, which quote-unquote bad monarch least deserves their reputation? Shakespeare edition. Ah, for yeah. long-time listeners of the podcast, you'll know that this is the third episode in our kind of um, re-examining Bad Monarchs series. Right. We've done Queens of Europe, and then we also did Queens of China at the mm-hmm. beginning of this season. Right. So here, towards the end of the season, we are doing episode three, the Shakespeare edition. Yes. So the answer choices for this question, instead of having four, we only have three because... Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted them to be actual monarchs, not feudal leaders like, um, I don't know, Julius Caesar, for example. Well, yeah, yeah. And of course, we need them to have a semi-historical basis so that we can compare them against Shakespeare's version. And, you know, Shakespeare needs to say that they're bad rulers. So with all those criteria in mind, we have these three answer choices for you. Yes. A, Cleopatra. B, mm-hmm. Macbeth. Mm-hmm. And C, Richard III. Yep. I, I was going to give like the titles of the plays they're from, but I was like, well. <laughs> exactly. We don't need to call down the M word curse. We just no. need to talk about the character and the historical figure. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we're not in a theater, but I'm not trying to risk it. Not in these times, not in this economy. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Certainly not. So uh, yes, with that out of the way, what we're going to do is go through... Uh, how Shakespeare portrays each of these people, and then go through the actual historical figures they were based on and, you know, think about, were they that bad? Right. Yeah, so without further ado, let's get into it. All right, so first in line, we're going through these as we love to do in chronological order. Mm -hmm. First in line is Cleopatra. Cleopatra, sexy, whorish Egyptian queen, right? Well, maybe. Yeah. So in Shakespeare... Um, the Romans, the characters, the Roman characters label her as, you know, everything terrible in the world. She's a wrangling queen. She's a slave. She's an Egyptian dish. She is a whore, of course. Boy, she's not a dish. She is a meal. Exactly. She is a five course meal. Excuse you. Yes. Um, the other thing about Cleopatra in the Shakespeare version is that, um, it's, she has this really interesting dynamic where she's really aware about the performative aspect of being a ruler. Mm-hmm. Um, Shakespeare doesn't portray that favorably, but I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and finally, of course, she's openly sexual and very flirty with multiple characters. And we yep. can't have that in the 1600s. A woman? Boo. Yeah. Boo. Boo. Okay. So, yeah. So... <laughs> As far as Shakespeare is concerned, Cleopatra's three three main character traits are sexual, sexual, and woman. Exactly, and and also the also the uh, the tramp who led astray a good <laughs> Roman. <laughs> this is true. Yes, uh, but of course, history is a little more complicated than that. So, Sophie, can you give us the rundown of real Cleopatra? Right. So, Cleopatra the seventh, Thea Philator. Oh. was the last pharaoh of the Ptolemy dynasty that ruled Egypt for almost 300 years, you know, between Alexander the Great to uh, the end of the Roman Republic. Real quick, um, do, like, British documentarians have some fancy way of pronouncing that last name? 
so that it doesn't sound like one who gives blowjobs. Filator. <laughs> Filator? Filator? I feel like I if know. I was a British historian well known <laughs> for mispronouncing things, I would say Filator. But yeah. I think you're right. And I think it's probably like Filator. Filator. Yeah, I think let's go with Filator. That sounds the best. Filator. Sorry. <laughs> I just think it's so fitting for Ms. Cleopatra. <laughs> Yeah, maybe so. So um, she was born in 70 BCE and took the throne in 51 BCE when she was about 21 years old. Mm. So, you know, continuing our trend of young monarchs, right? Of course. So uh, the first thing that we want to get out of the way is, you know, everybody's like, oh, Cleopatra, she's beautiful. She's sexy. According to contemporary sources, she was notable not for her beauty or sex appeal, but for her cleverness and charm, right? So even mm-hmm. per, like, historians like Plutarch, who was a Roman, he was like, well, she was, like, she was okay looking, but, like, <laughs> she was charming. Like, she was interesting yeah, I'm sure to talk she was to. charismatic. Right, exactly. Um, she was known to be pretty smart and clever. You know, she was the first member of the Ptolemaic lines, which was originally Greek. Um, she was the first member of that whole bloodline to, like, actually learn the Egyptian language, uh, you know, the, the like, mm-hmm. vernacular language of the common people in Egypt. Imagine that. Yeah, she spoke multiple languages. Um, and also she uh, is noted for having written treatises, like, on various things. So she wrote one on weights and measures, and she wrote another one that was about, um, like, it was called cosmetics, but it was about medicines. Oh. Um, so, you know, so she was a knowledgeable lady. Like she, like she knew a lot about a lot of different stuff. She was known to, um, be on good terms with most of her ambassadors. Like she was a very like, um, you know, diplomatic person. Yeah. I mean, to my, to my asexual perception mm-hmm. or Plutarch is like, oh, she wasn't beautiful or sexy. She was just, you know, charming and clever. And I was like, these are the same picture. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look, um, we mm-hmm. stand an icon who learns mm-hmm. the parlance of her people, right? And who who publishes treatises on weights and measures. Yeah, that's my that, ideal woman. That suggests that suggests that she, you know, that she knew something about math, and that's always sexy. Yes, I'm putting that in my Tinder profile. Like, must learn the common vernacular of your people and publish at least two treatises on weights and measures. Exactly. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so she, um, so like I said, she took the throne in 51 BC. So she was the co-ruler and probably the wife of her 11-year-old brother, Ptolemy Thirteenth. And um, to sum up a thing that has been better told elsewhere, and we will link you to other elsewheres that you can go look if you want to hear the full thrilling tale, but I'm going to give you like the 10-bit like the version, mm-hmm. um, which is that basically that relationship went sour real, real quick. She, uh, she, got ban- she got herself banished. Well, she didn't get herself banished. Ptolemy banished her. She fled into Syria and, you know, gathered an army. And then um, Julius Caesar rules in a town and Cleopatra is like, hey, Ju- Julius, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think of a, like, a cute nickname. Yeah. Hey, my dude. Julie. Julie. Um, May I call you Leus? Yeah. Help me get my throne back, please. Um, and Caesar <laughs> was like, uh, well, yeah, these guys pissed me off because they chopped off the head of a different Roman general that I was having a power struggle with back in Rome. <laughs> what was this a kind of, um, Kate Beaton nemesis situation? He was like, I was the only one who was supposed to chop off his head. 
Yeah, kind of, because Caesar Caesar was um, Caesar was in the middle of a power struggle uh, with the the Roman general Pompey, and mm-hmm. uh, Pompey rolled into Alexandria, and Ptolemy wanted to curry favor with Caesar, so he like he he chopped off uh, he chopped off Pompey's head and was like, "Hey Caesar, look, I killed your enemy for you," and Caesar was like, "How dare you?" <laughs> yeah, um, we love a good nemesis. Yeah, so he. Uh, he was really pissed, and also he was like, man, this guy is a child, and he's kind of useless, and Cleopatra is over here being smart and, like, clever and interesting to talk to, and, you know, she seems to know what she's up to. Let me and side with her. asking me what I want for an allyship gift instead of just chopping off my nemesis's head. Exactly. So Caesar helps her get her throne back. Um... Uh, during that time, you know, because it lasted, like, this kind of civil war thing lasted a, a little while, lasted, like, about a year or so. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, during the winter of 47 BCE, uh, Caesar and Cleopatra got stuck in Alexandria because Alexandria was under siege. So, um, you know, Caesar and Cleopatra, you know, when you're you're stuck in Alexandria, you're under siege, you know, like, basically, you're, they're basically quarantine partners. Oh, no. <laughs> basically, you know. Um, I'm just thinking about how I, in the best timeline, all of these jokes will be horribly out of date by the time we publish this episode. In the best timeline. But Let's in the realistic so. timeline where Donald Trump is our president, we'll see. Yeah. Let's, let's, let let's see. Um, but so they. <laughs> That's me knocking on wood. They were basically quarantine partners, and, um, you know, so what else are you going to do except, you know, like, fool around? So right. it, it is documented. She did have a relationship with Caesar uh, that, you know, like, a, a, they hooked up. Um, yeah. They may or may not have had a kid together. She did have a son named uh, that she named Ptolemy Caesar. She said that mm-hmm. it was Caesar's kid. I see. We don't know for sure whether it was Caesar's kid, but like, you know, it, it probably was Caesar's kid. Well, yeah, you can't, I guess you can't ever be sure of the provenance of any child at, during this time period. Yeah, this is, yeah, it's, it's, so then, um, so the siege of Alexandria was lifted. Caesar headed back to Rome. Cleo- Cleopatra continued ruling Egypt with her brother Ptolemy the Fourteenth. So, so like sh- her after her brother Ptolemy the Thirteenth died, then she married her brother Ptolemy the Fourteenth, and then they ruled together until forty-four BCE, okay. um, when he died. And then she, well, you, you know, and then she, um, and then she was she was co-ruler, technically co-ruler with her son Ptolemy Caesar, although like he was like four or five years old, so she was really <laughs> the, the one who was pulling the, the strings, um, right. Yeah, fun fact that I didn't know, but I'm just like, why does this not appear in more, like, in more depictions of this event? Which is, so 44 BC is also the year that Caesar was assassinated, right? Oh, yeah. Where do you think Cleopatra was? In Egypt? Mm-mm. She oh. was in Rome at the time. Oh, she no. She was in Rome as a guest at Caesar's villa when he got stabbed. Man, that's, that's not ideal. Yeah, but it's like, why are there not more stories? Because, like, she had to, like, pack up and go real fast. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. sure. Yeah, because she was in Rome as Caesar's personal guest. Her husband and Ptolemy Caesar were with her in Rome. (laughs) Oh, no. And um, so Cleopatra, but she does make it back to Egypt. Um, And then then her brother Ptolemy the 14th, then he dies, right? So that's when Cleopatra really becomes an independent ruler, you know, theoretically co-ruling with her son, her five-year-old son, 
whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the story of Cleopatra and Caesar. But of course, then the events of the Shakespeare play, you know, is Antony and Cleopatra. So then, you know, because then she has another really powerful man in her life, which is Marcus Ant- Marcus Antonius or Mark Antony. Right. Um, and because so he rolled into town about two years later. So after the power struggle and the Battle of Philippi, which you can which is shown in Julius Caesar, the play. Mm-hmm. Um, then Marcus Antonius takes the east part of the Roman Empire. He rolls into town. He's like, hey, I got to meet with all you local leaders and like let you know that I'm the one in charge and everything like that. So Cleopatra, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. story goes that she rolls into town. She goes, I, uh, I, he calls her to meet a person. So she rolls into town fashionably late, right? I see. By which I mean days. <laughs> yeah. She rolls into town fashionably late on, like, this golden barge. Like, she's, like, all dolled up and everything like that. And Antony is like, whoa. <laughs> you know. Although, apparently, she wasn't that beautiful. I, I don't believe it, man. I'm I sure mean, she knew how to use her cosmetics. Exactly. I'm sure that she was great with her cosmetics. I'm sure that she had a killer wardrobe. Like, you know, like. Oh, yeah. So she rolls into town. Um, Her and Mark Antony stayed together for 11 years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so they stayed together for 11 years. I think they did have occasional relationships with other people. And Antony technically during this entire time was married to two different Roman women, right? He was married to a lady named Fulvia. Look, sometimes you just have to be married to two people and also have a girlfriend named Cleopatra. Sometimes that's just how it is to be Mark Antony. Yeah. So, um, you know, like something, something, things happen, you know, Mark Antony goes to war with the Parthians, and like there's a power struggle in Rome and everything like that. So basically, um, you know, of course, the play Antony and Cleopatra is all about the um, is all about the end of Cleopatra's life. Right. Um, mm-hmm, and Antony's mm-hmm. life. But, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so really what happened was that Cleopatra was kind of caught up in this power struggle between um uh, Antony and Octavian, who would later go on to be Caesar Augustus, right? Mm-hmm. The first Roman emperor. Um, and because Caesar Augustus already wanted to push Antony out of power. He wanted, you know, the, to be able to control the East. And so he basically ran a propaganda campaign against Antony and was like, look at this guy. Like, he didn't want to attack Antony directly because, you know, like Antony was, was still affiliated with Julius Caesar's legacy and everything like that. So he didn't want to attack Antony directly, mm-hmm. so he was just like, oh, you know, like, look at this, you know, he's he's let himself be led astray by this, like, eastern skank, you know, like, she, he's <laughs> cheating on... And at the time, one of the women, the second woman that Antony was married to was a woman named Octavia, who was Octavian's sister. So, like, technically they were brothers-in-law, so, you know, Ooh. and Octavian... So Octavian's like, I, like, he's married to my sister, and he's cheating on her. Um, so that didn't go over well with the Romans. I, I don't, I don't know about that, bud. Yeah. He also um, had two wives, so it's kind of already, you know, poli- like, not at the same time. already in the picture. Not at, not, not at the same time. Oh, it was, he was married to Fulvia, <laughs> and then Fulvia, Fulvia, uh, got into political trouble, and then she was killed. And then Octavia, and then, and then Antony yeah. married Octavia, and and then went back to Egypt to be with his girlfriend. So uh, there's yes. that. <laughs> so yeah, so she was the subject of Roman propaganda. That part of the play is accurate. She did lose at the Battle of Actium, which is the kind of the major battle. Um, 
uh, and Antony did commit suicide. There probably was some kind of confusion involved Antony thinking that Cleopatra was dead. And so he was like, I'm going to, you know, Romeo and Juliet kind of thing, which, of course, because it's Shakespeare. You know, he's like, Cleopatra's already dead. I'm going to be dead to join her. And then, like, he, like, dies and then Cleopatra walks in and she's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is I recently watched the Sailor Moon musical. So uh-huh. in my mind, it's no longer a Romeo and Juliet situation. It's a Sailor Moon tuxedo mask situation. Oh, dear. Where one dies and then kills kills them. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. So Cleopatra, um, she probably did not die of a snake bite, um, although it, she probably did die by suicide. People think that she used poison because, like, snake bites aren't that reliable and, like, she definitely, like, died. You know, she yeah. definitely committed suicide. So, right. Yeah. So, you know, she was the last pharaoh of Egypt after her. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, Octavian came in and uh, picked up, yoinked the rest of Egypt, and it became a more integrated Roman province. And, Mm. uh, you know, some of Cleopatra, I think only one of Cleopatra's children actually, like, survived long enough to have descendants. And that was one of her daughters who became, I think, Queen of Mauritania. So, you know what? Good for her. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Poor Cleopatra, huh? uh Uh-huh. I mean, also... I love the idea of um, of Octavian being like this this Eastern whore. Meanwhile, she's literally like, "I'm Greek. I don't I don't know what you mean." But you know, xenophobia. Yeah, xenophobia, and you know, she's 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 Greek, but like she's. I mean, I don't know whether she actually did adopt like a lot of the like the kind of like the Egyptian way of doing things. I don't know. Mm. But, you know, but she did rule Egypt and she did seem sympathetic to the Egyptian people. And from what we know, then the Egyptian people like thought that she was a pretty okay ruler. So interesting. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm sure Octavian doesn't like that. If you're liked by your people, how how good a person can you be? Mm. Well, if you if the people who are not Romans like you. Yeah, true. I think that's more to the point. If these non-citizens care, that doesn't matter. Yep. So yeah, so that is Cleopatra, our girl that Cleopatra. It is. And so right. with that, we move to option B, Macbeth, the character, uh-huh. and his wife, Lady Macbeth. Right. So, oh, so this, 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 this human disaster, yeah. at least in the Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> he's, such so, a, he's such a mess. In he's the Shakespeare, he's right. just a guy. He's like a normal guy. He's like a laird or whatever. Yeah. Under the High King. He's a Thane. He's a Thane. He's a Thane, Thane, Thane of Cawdor and Thane of Glamis, which is not historically correct. Spoiler <laughs> alert. So he's a Thane under the High King, and he's just mm-hmm. bopping along, minding uh-huh. his own business, Thaneing around. Yes. And then his wife is like, but have you ever considered regicide? <laughs> right. And he's like, no, of course not. And she's like, pussy. And he's like, oh, I guess I'll just have to commit regicide then. Yep. And that's literally um, what happens. <laughs> yeah. Worst so, character arc ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the point of, you know, a Shakespearean tragedy, right, is you're supposed to have, like, it's, if it's, especially if it's based off a Grecian tragedy, you have, like, the, the character of noble class who has this fatal flaw or whatever. But, right. like, you know, in classic tragedy, it's supposed to be, like, the character is doing every right thing. What What is a strength in one situation becomes his weakness, and he falls. Right. Macbeth is not what happened. <laughs> Just fully. a tragedy, a tragedy for the modern age. True. So yeah. he's he is you know convinced into committing regicide by his wife. After he kills one person, he's kind of like, well, 
anyway, might as well just keep like I've got I've murdered my way into this situation. I will murder my way out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. And it does not work very well. Oh, Macbeth. Yeah. To be frank. Yeah. Um. So Shakespeare based this off of Ralph Holland Hollandshed. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Hollandshed. Yeah. Uh, Shakespeare based his play off of Ralph Hollandshed's Chronicles, which like weren't the most accurate. Like mm-hmm. Sophie mentioned earlier, Hollandshed is the one. Well, is it Hollandshed or Hollandshed? Hollandshed. Sorry. Okay. Like Sophie mentioned earlier, Hollandshed says that Macbeth was the thane of Glamis and Cawdor. Not so. Right. So, you know, with that uh, with that in mind, the historical inaccuracy of the Shakespeare play in mind, Sophie, can you tell us about the historical figure that Macbeth is based on? Right. So his real name, uh, at least as far as we could tell, was Macbeth at McFinleich. Um, okay. I think I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I butchered that. I tried. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also nicknamed the Red King, which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Was and, he a ginger? Just generally uh, liked the color red. Uh, what's your speculation? I don't, I don't know. Some people may have said it was because of his prowess in battle, oh. know, smeared with blood, and all of that. Ooh. Um, um. So he ruled Scotland from 1040 to 1057. Mm-hmm. So way back. So um, the. Major source on this historical figure is from the Chronicle of Melrose, which is a chronicle uh, made at Melrose Abbey in Scotland, and it was made around 1174, but based on older material. Like I think it references older materials, but that mm. are now lost. Right. right. So M- Macbeth and Macfinlaich, I hope <laughs> I'm saying that correctly. I think he, I think it's good. He was born in um, around 1005. Um, and actually his name is kind of unusual because, you know, he is not the son of Beth. He's the son of Finlaich, but, ah. uh, his father named him Macbeth or Macbeth as in son of life, which is interesting. Oh. Um, so he was the son of Finlaich of Moray, who was the ruler, the, the word for it is Mormare, I think, of, um, at that time, Scotland had like four base kingdoms, right? We were in kind mm-hmm. of like a warring states period kind of deal happening here. Sure. Um, so the biggest one was Alba. And then there was Orkney, which was like the little islands to the north. And then there was Strathclyde and there was Moray. Right. So mm-hmm. people think that the king of Alba was sort of a high king over the others. Right. So Macbeth was like this like subsidiary king, the Mormare of Moray. Okay. That's the first thing, which is that he was not the Thane of Cawdor and Glamis. He right. was, he was, he was, he was a king in his own right. Although, you know, like slightly less powerful. Um, Mm -hmm. The other thing that needs to be noted, which is interesting, which is that traditionally at this point, Scotland didn't have like uh, what we call primogeniture, which is like the oldest child inherits from the last generation. Right. It was kind of this loose system of like Mm -hmm. uh, kind of agnatic seniority. So like when someone dies, their members of the same generation inherit before the children do. Okay um you know members of the same generation right. brothers cousins that kind of thing right it kind of goes in order of the oldest person age-wise as and, opposed to like seniority yeah um my question so my question about that system is mm-hmm. um so it seems good because then you have like you know adults who have good ideas instead of having a bunch of child kings so that's a benefit right um so what if your king is like 80 is it does it go to another 80 year old or is the idea that of like if everybody else in your generation has died off, then it goes to the next generation. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, it just... I mean, it was, like, this kind of loose thing. It didn't, like, go, like, directly, you know, like, you had to have, like, the consensus. People had to be like, yeah, okay, that'd be okay with that guy as king, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, like, you know, it would just kind of depend on, you know, like, what the nobles thought. Like, what what, what the kind of the, the local chiefs and everything like that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so if you had if you had some dude, if you had, like, a cousin who was really popular or something like that, then people would be like, yeah, okay, I prefer him as king over, you know, th- this other dude. Yeah, sure. You're right. That's, it was kind of it was looser. Nice. It was a looser time. It was a it was yeah. a different time. Um sure. so along comes this dude named Malcolm II. So he was the king of Alba when around the time that Macbeth was born and growing up. And he wanted to change it because he wanted his children to inherit before his brothers and cousins, etc. Oh my god. Um, I was just thinking, I was like, what a nice chill time. I'm sure nothing will happen to disrupt that chill time. Yeah, Malcolm II had like <sighs> zero chill. He was like this really powerful king. He was this really strong personality. Um, And it like it would have been probably like a little bit more okay. except Malcolm was like um, Malcolm wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to change the way that things are done. Malcolm was like, I'm going to change the way things are done by eliminating the branches of other powerful families. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) So why why is the solution always genocide with these people? I don't know. I don't know. So his but, master so plan he, is, if I get rid of all of my cousins who might be suggested to follow me, then my sons will follow me instead. Yeah, and he didn't have sons, so actually his grandson was the one who inherited. Oh my god. Go figure. Um, so his grandson was Duncan I, uh, who you may know as the unfortunate good King Duncan who um, Macbeth goes all stabby-stabby on. Right. right. Um, but the thing is that Macbeth didn't murder duncan historically uh Mm -hmm. duncan was this king and he was like meh he was a meh kind of king like sure historical records don't paint him like as an incredibly like he certainly wasn't the same force of personality that um malcolm ii was that his grandfather was Mm -hmm. um so duncan was duncan actually he was killed in a battle um against Macbeth's men near the, the village of elgin so this was technically in Moray, which was Macbeth's, like, kingdom, right? Yeah. Um, and Duncan is thought to have been, because Duncan is thought to have been raiding or invading it at the time because there was a little bit of friction between the two guys. Ooh. Um, and he just happened to be in the area and wanted to burn some houses, I guess. And Macbeth was like, um? <laughs> and That's so rude. They, they, and, and so they had a little battle. They had a battle and Duncan kicked it, um, uh-huh. you know? And then everybody was like, so everybody was like, well, now we don't have a king anymore. You, you seem like a good idea. Let's make you king. Also, like, you have a really strong claim to the throne. So let's, let's, you can be king. This is fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so that was the way that Macbeth succeeded to the throne, which was not through murder per se, you know. Mm. It, Righteous it was killing th- in battle. Exactly. More, it was more honorable. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't calculated at least. He didn't like yeah. lure, as far as we know, he did not lure quote yeah, unquote probably... good King Duncan for the purpose of killing him for the purpose of ascension. Exactly. Not quite the same level of premeditation. Yeah. So Macbeth and his wife, um, you know, like they're, they, they, so they appear in the Chronicles and everything like that. So like his wife's name was Gruch. Love um, it. Yeah. Uh, and um she there's a whole interesting story about how they ended up together that i'm not going to get into right now but like (laughs) look it up we will link the story it's a lot um 
but so Macbeth, they were considered pretty good rulers, you know, like they like they were they they like uh, are known to have like been major benefactors, benefactors, right, are the people who. Yeah. Yeah. They were known to be major benefactors or sponsors of the church, you know, like they were they, you know, they seem to be making pretty okay laws and everything like that. One thing that is really significant that I think is really emblematic of Macbeth's rule is that he was known to have gone on a pilgrimage to Rome in 1050. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So this was uh this was about this was 10 years after he took the throne. Um and he was known to have like been very generous with like almsgiving. They uh I think the chronicle says that he scattered money like seeds, quote unquote. Oh. Um so, you know, so I think that tells us two things, which was that, one, he felt secure enough to, like, go all the way to Rome from Scotland. Like, he was like, it's okay. I can go. Uh, you know, I can go on vacation and everything will be fine. Like, so yeah, he no felt one secure enough me that while I'm gone, all right, kids? Nobody's going to usurp me while I'm gone. And and he, he ruled for seven more years, so clearly nobody did. Yeah. Um. So, like, and the other thing is that, like, you know, the fact that he was, you know, giving kind of, like, uh, making it rain. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, so Scotland clearly was doing well, or at least they weren't doing badly. Like they were, right. they were, you know, they weren't poor. So I think that I think that kind of just that little uh, nugget of information tells us a lot about like the kind of ruler that Macbeth was, which was that clearly he was popular and powerful enough um, to uh, both leave behind Scotland for a little while and also to you know to finance a trip to Rome, you know, of this magnitude. So yeah. that's kind of cool. It is. And, you know, yeah. good for him. Good for him. Yeah. And also Gruch. Yes. Who I hope went with him to see Rome. I don't know if she did. Maybe he left her in charge. I mean, if she was anything like Lady Macbeth, she would, prob- she would yeah, probably have would run a tight ship. Yeah, that would why he didn't get usurped. Yeah, she would have run a tight ship. I'm sure. Hopefully without the sleepwalking and the hand washing. But, you know, she doesn't yeah, have yeah. as much blood on her conscience here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hardly any, really. Mm-hmm. Seems pretty okay. I mean, it was a bloody takeover, but I mean, more of a bloody happened to take over. Yeah, exactly. As portrayed in the Chronicle. Right. So that's the first half of Macbeth. And so then right. the second half of Macbeth, you know, was his... So the first half is all about his rise and this is about his downfall. Um, so historically, Macbeth did die fighting the son of the last king. So this guy would go on to become Malcolm III, but for now we're going to call him Malcolm Canmore because it makes it easier uh-huh. to distinguish him from his great-grandfather. But, th- but you know, obviously not because Macbeth was, like, this terrible tyrant. Um, basically, Duncan's son, Malcolm, had gone to England, uh, which at that point, again, we're talking pre-Norman conquest. This was ruled at the time by Edward the Confessor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1054 or so, he, he comes back with an army. Um, and, uh, they take back, a uh, part of Southern Scotland and then, you know, like, and then Macbeth is like, okay, you can have Southern Scotland. We good? Are we good? Are we good? And Malcolm was like, we're not good, <laughs> you know? And so then, you know, and then eventually they, 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 uh, Malcolm defeated Macbeth in battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, Macbeth was, you know, he was not just kind of tossed into some shallow grave. He was actually buried on the island of Iona. Which oh. is the traditional burial place of Scottish kings at that well, point. that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know, um, we don't know. I mean, there, 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 as far as I could tell, there wasn't really a record of, like, any dude named Macduff. It was just Malcolm just, like, again, just like his predecessor, Macbeth was killed in battle. And um, Malcolm was like, so I'm king now, right? And they were like, yeah, you're king. Alrighty. 
I mean, yep. yeah. Yeah. Definitely doesn't have the drama of the Shakespeare, but uh, certainly has I mean, realism. I would love to read about Macbeth um, in Rome. You know, that just seems yeah. so fascinating to me. Like, there's like a whole, because there's like, Macbeth is in Rome, and then there's like this whole story about like Malcolm, and like he's in the English court, and like, you know, like th- there's stuff going down in the English court and all sorts of things. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, meanwhile in Normandy, then William the Conqueror is like about to like come and yoink like England. Right. So God. there's They've like a lot of things happening. Coming. Yeah, this is like a really interesting time period. Like you know, I didn't realize that Macbeth and um and and William the Conqueror were like happening during the same time period. You know, Macbeth mm-hmm. dies before William the Conqueror makes landfall in England, but like you know, they're clearly alive around the same time, which yeah. I think is really cool. Hmm. Yeah. True. Very interesting stuff. Right. So yeah, he sounds pretty okay. Um yeah. I mean, so did he did he and Gruch have any kids or did they did anything fun happen with them? Like did they become, I don't know, queen of Mauritania? No. Um so they he and Gruch did not have any children. He adopted her uh her her, her son by previous marriage. Mm-hmm. Um and so uh his name I think was Lulach. And okay. so he was he he was Macbeth's heir, um, and he was like he was originally after Macbeth died. Then he was originally like they the Scots briefly were like okay you you you're king because obviously you know you're the heir of Macbeth and everything like that. And then they and then Malcolm was like you said what? And they were like we've reconsidered. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting because uh, Malcolm becomes Malcolm Canmore becomes Malcolm the Third. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some people actually consider Macbeth to be the last, like, true, like, Celtic king of Scotland, because Malcolm III comes in, um, he actually implemented a primogeniture succession system oh. and a feudal system, kind of like the Normans, like, like his great-grandfather wanted. Um, you know, he, he, he's known for being the guy who said, henceforth the earls, right? Oh, um, sure. Instead of chieftains, and, like, so he ruled kind of a more kind of united, centralized Scotland, and um, so, yeah, so the Celtic way of life, like in that that whole kind of system, kind of like it started dying off a little bit after yeah. after 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 Macbeth. So it was that which was which is I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, you don't hear about that in the Shakespeare. No, you don't hear about how chill they all were about who's going to be the high king. Let's all agree on it. And then it all got a uh, all got changed. Yep. And of course, I mean, you know, everything and changed when Duncan attacked everything. Well, well this is. Malcolm, yeah. everything changed when Malcolm attacked, which of course, which is really interesting because then, you know, like a couple centuries later, which is when you have the, like the Stuarts are in power and then you have like so many child kings, you know, <laughs> ending with like ending up with Mary Queen of Scots who became queen at six days old. And then you have like James, James VI of Scotland or James the first of England who became king when he was like two. God. You know? So like. Too much. We, so that's how that turned out. <laughs> too much. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I think I feel like the Celts like it makes more sense to move power laterally than mm-hmm. vertically. Yep, but you know, but Lindsay, that would be the sensible thing to do. God, you're right about that. And what yeah. about monarchy is sensible? Yeah, this Speaking... is a call out post for the United Kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of power moving laterally instead of moving oh. uh, down. Yeah, let us discuss that us our last answer, answer choice. choice. Yes, our last answer <sighs> choice, option C, Richard III. Oh, God. A classic baddie of Shakespeare, Lawrence right. Olivier at his most nefarious, etc. Right, right, so, right. 
in Shakespeare. As Sophie has very eloquently put in our show notes, ugly, hunchbacked, and super salty about it. Super salty. He was like, I'm ugly. And nobody loves me, and therefore I get to be as evil as I want. So basically, you know, I don't, I have zero game with the lady. So basically, he's your neck, he's a neckbeard, okay? Yes, yes. He, he's a neckbeard, and figuratively much, living in yes. somebody's basement. Yes, and much has been said about, you know, the deformity of his character being reflected in the deformity of his body, which is, you know, hashtag problematic of you, Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, but he definitely, in the Shakespeare portrayal, you know, he is like, a supervillain of all supervillains, morally bankrupt, charming, manipulative, etc. Well, more manipulative than charming, but he tries. Yeah, I mean, um, it's like, you know, like, it's kind of like an accident that you can't look away from. You're just like, this guy is, like, so good with words. Like, he has, like, a lot of soliloquies, like, a lot of soliloquies. Yes. Um, but you're just like, oh, this guy is so good with words. And, like, the way that, like, his wordsmithing, oh, my God, you know, like mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. Definitely. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, he... Uh, he murders a bunch of people in the play. Mm-hmm. He uh, frames his brother George, Duke of Clarence, for a crime that he committed, of course, and then executes him. Mm-hmm. Seizes the throne from his nephew, Edward V, and orders him and his brother Richard. So Richard III uh, had two nephews named Edward and Richard. Right. Locked them in a tower, had them murdered, murdered his wife so that he can marry his niece, who was, like, a baby in the play. I mean, she was, like, in her teens. But still. Yeah. Just, you mm-hmm. know, full of child murder, child The brides. fact that that's not the worst, the fact that that's not the grossest, like, the grossest relationship in this episode is saying something. This because is we have Because this episode, Richard is so lucky because he shares this episode with the Ptolemies, so. Yeah, so luckily he does, he does get the benefit of that comparison. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, just generally, he's a murderer. He frames people um, so that he can execute them, quote unquote, lawfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, imprisons children, murders children, murders his wife. Uh, just yeah, a laundry list of of crimes from yeah. and in our general, friend it's just like this really bad king, and like everybody hates him, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So yeah. So that is the story of Richard. According to Shakespeare. Yeah, so there's really only room for more nuance, considering mm-hmm. his whole nuance in the play is he's terrible, but at least he can talk well. Yep. So why don't you tell us about that, Sophie? So, Richard. Richard Plantagenet of the House of York. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born in 1452. Might I just say Plantagenet is definitely the best, like, European monarchy name. It's definitely the coolest. Plantagenet. I mean, it's, it's up there. I think we have some like kind of German and 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 Swedish names that are pretty cool as well. But Plantagenet is pretty good. Plantagenet makes me think of planets, which seems very regal and rulerly. Yes, because I've mis I misread it a lot in my youth as like Planetgene. Oh, I you see. Know? Yeah, I, so maybe, I, I, maybe it's only a see, really good name in my mind. Every time I see Plantagenet, I think I think um. I think of orange trees for some reason because uh, plants, I guess. Yeah. So, okay. So Richard was born in 1452 to Richard, the Duke of York, and his wife, Cecily Neville. This was a very powerful, very well-connected family, but he was actually the fourth son. So, you know, he was like the the, the spare of the spare of the spare. Unlike what Shakespeare says, he was not a hunchback. Uh, they've done different forensic analyses of his skeleton, so which is that's a story in itself of like how <laughs> they found his skeleton. Um, he was under a parking lot, 
and oh, no. he owes like $2,000 worth of parking tickets. Jeez. <laughs> so he was not really a hunchback. Uh, based on the forensic analysis that they've done, then it's like he, um, he, he might have had scoliosis, you know, so there was a little bit of like deformity or a little bit of oddness in his like skeleton. But, like, you know, he was noted for having fought in battle, so it didn't, like, hinder him the way that it does in the play. Mm -hmm. So his father and brother died in 1460. Richard was eight. His father and brother died in battle at Wakefield. So this was in the first stage of the Wars of the Roses, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then his brother, Edward IV, his, his brother, Edward, became King Edward IV after winning the Battle of Towton. And this was the next spring in March of 1461. So at this point, Richard was nine. Right. Wow. Um, I just, this math is all off and I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't know why it's, I don't know why I'm like this. Okay. I have a So feeling, Richard was 11 at the time. I have a feeling that it had something to do with doing it at 2 a.m. It's possible. And also maybe because I was coming out of BC math mode. And so then I'm in like AD math mode and like it's all jumbled up. Ah. Um, so, um, so Edward technically became king in 1461 but um things didn't really settle down until after the defeat of uh the earl of warwick mm -hmm. uh aka the kingmaker like that was a whole tiff that again is told better elsewhere and i'm gonna leave some links to books and stuff like that so that you can go look at that because i'm not going to summarize it here it's a lot basically this is the wars of the roses yeah. right um and they beat the earl of warwick in or warwick i should say because there's an unnecessary w there they beat the uh. Earl of Warwick in 1471 when Richard is about, like, 19 or so. Mm -hmm. So 10 years later. This is when Richard III starts. And um, so theoretically, you know, Richard at this point in history is only about 19. And, and, and so he probably was not at this point planning to murder his way to the throne. Like, he, that, that happened right. much later, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. So people think that Shakespeare got this idea from Sir Thomas More who, uh, you know, the author of Utopia, who was uh, alive during some of these events of the play. Right. But uh, Moore wrote this book called The History of King Richard III. And, you know, and so he was like, you know, as as a Catholic and everything like that, like, and and based on the beliefs of the time that he was like, yeah, Richard was like, Richard was this really ugly person because he was really ugly inside. <laughs> you guys know how morality is reflected by physical appearance, appearance, yeah. aka the Disney logic. Right, exactly. So that's what people think that Shakespeare, Shakespeare then based it off of Moore's writings and probably a lot of because, you know, because this was for Shakespeare, this was recent history, right? Like this, I also, he was um, writing... Was there not also mm -hmm. something about, um, you know, Shakespeare also made this history as lip service to the current king um, to, how to say it, um, make other claims to the throne less legitimate to make King James seem more legitimate? Yes, I think that was correct. Also um, I think he actually wrote this when, when, when Elizabeth, I think he actually wrote this when Elizabeth was in power, uh, which makes it even more relevant mm -hmm. because Elizabeth was a tutor. Right. So she was of the House of Tudor right. and the House of Tudor. Um, so uh, let's go through Richard's crimes first and then I'll kind of talk about that. <laughs> Is that OK? Because I feel like it'll make a lot more sense in context. Oh, yeah. I'm just thinking of like, imagine the Wikipedia page. Early I, life, I've seen, the, I've seen the Wikipedia page. I've seen it, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the Wikipedia page and it's, it's not pretty. <laughs> I stared into the Wikipedia page and the Wikipedia page stared back. Exactly. Um, right. So 
basically the whole the, the way that all of that goes is you know so going back to the child murder bit um <laughs> yes so richard in a 14 like 1483 i think um so his brother his oldest brother edward dies okay right? and edward's son is 12 and richard was edward's only surviving brother at that point because george had already been executed mm-hmm. um and and from what we know, George's, you know, we whether or not he committed treason, Edward was the one who signed the writ for the execution, not Richard. So, like, you know. Interesting. Ultimately, it comes down to being, like, the only person that we can fairly blame for George dying is Edward. Because Edward was like, yeah, execute him. <laughs> right. Right. So, in 1483, uh, at this point, Richard is not the, like, gross, twisted old man. He's, only, he's about 30, 31-ish, mm-hmm. right? So... Edward the fourth son is Edward the fifth, and you know he's the heir to the throne because he's he's the son of the previous king. Right, right. So, um, Richard is you know Edward the fourth is like, hey Richard, my bro, I trust you. Like, make sure like Edward, my son is. God, there's so many guys named Edward and Richard. I know. It's I hate it. <laughs> I mean, so if I understood correctly, Richard's only surviving brother at this point was named Edward. So they were two brothers named Edward and Richard. And then Edward tells Richard, please take care of my sons, Edward and Richard. Correct. I hate English royalty. (laughs) Yes. It's so bad. There are, like, before we get done with English history, there are eight Edwards. That's too many Edwards. There are eight Edwards. Um, And, like, a lot of them were kind of messes, now that I'm thinking about it. Like, that's just... That's like cursing your child. Yeah, aside from Edward the First and Edward the Third, I think the rest of them are just human disasters. What's so, what's this newest prince? Is his name Edward? The new prince, the new prince is Edward, George. and he is known as Edward the Fourth, Edward the Fifth, the son of Edward the Fourth. Yes. Okay, you with me? <laughs> yes. God. <laughs> so Edward the Fourth, the twelve-year-old boy king, Richard is like, okay, I'm going to be your Lord Protector, and like, you know, um. But also, I don't want your mother's family controlling everything because the, the his the mother's family was the Woodvilles, which is this family. They were kind of like a, they were not quite as prestigious or important as the Plantagenets or the Nevilles, who were the family of Warwick. Mm-hmm. Um, and Richard, uh, you know, and but they had been because uh, Edward the Fifth. His mother was Elizabeth Woodville, and she had married Edward the Fourth. So, like, her family became really powerful, right? They got yeah. like all sorts of things because now they're married to the king, right? Um, As so then unit, Edward, all the Woodvilles, right, all the Woodvilles, um, and Richard was like, I don't really like the Woodvilles. Um, I don't trust them, and so like he, you know, so he, uh, he, 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 sta- he, he takes Edward. Yeah. He stashes him in the tower yeah. of London for his protection. Right. And then he takes his brother Richard and stashes him in the tower for the for protection. You know, they're 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 in there together. Theoretically to prepare for the coronation. Yes. Um and then Richard and then Richard makes his move and he says, actually, this mayor, actually, based on like a lot of legal legal religious mumbo jumbo, like actually Edward the Fourth, my brother Edward's marriage to Elizabeth Woodville was invalid. That means my nephew is a bastard. Right. My nephews are bastards, so he can't be king. I am the only last living relative, and therefore I should be king. And like a lot of Parliament was like, "You're right," because okay. the Woodvilles were the well, the Woodvilles were not like they were. They oh, were not so the Parliament popular. was like, 
oh, oh, yeah. How, oh, how could we forget? Of course, of course the Woodvilles can't have an... Yes, thank God you brought that up, Richard. I was just about to say. Exactly. So at this point, the two princes are still in the tower when Richard announces his claim. Um, and then, you know, a little while later, they just kind of disappear. Um, mm. So nobody actually knows who, what happened to the princes in the tower, whether they were actually murdered or, like, whether they were just, like, smuggled out or something like that. Right. You know, it, 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 it could have been Richard, but also, like, there were a lot of other people who stood to benefit from the death of the princes in the tower because they were the sons of the previous king, but, like, the Tudor, or, um, at this point, the, the House of Lancaster, which was the one that was fighting the House of York, like, they had a claimant to the throne who was going to go on to be Henry, the, the King Henry the Seventh. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, they were like, no, 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 we, like, you know, in order for Henry to inherit, then you know, Richard had to be out of the way and, like, the, the the princes had to be out of the way, right? Please tell me that there is some tradition in England of people coming forward and claiming to be descendants of the lost princes in the tower. Oh, yes. Thank God. Yes, What would be the absolutely. point of it if that didn't happen? Absolutely. They're, they're absolutely, you know, it's like Anastasia, except, exactly. like, this was, like, in 15th century. No, absolutely. Henry, the Hen- this actually was Henry the Seventh and Henry the Eighth. Um, there were still claimants happening around the time of Henry VIII. Like, he was still having to execute people for saying that they were descended from Richard the, from Edward V and Richard. Well, not Edward V, Edward but the Richard. Fourth. No, yeah, basically. He was still having to execute people for this kind of thing. <laughs> um, um, and also, so getting to the kind of the, lo- the lower end of the list of crimes that Shakespeare has charged Richard with, um, there's not really any evidence that he murdered Anne Neville. Mm-hmm. She did die pretty young. She died at the age of 29 in 1484. Um, But, like, people are like, well, I mean, she could have been murdered by, like, poison or something like that. But also she was kind of sickly to begin with. Like, she was never that, well, her son had just died. So, like, you know, like, she wasn't, there was a lot, like, she was grieving and everything like that. She was sick for a while. Um, so, like, because she was sick for a while and Richard's only son had just died, then he was like, well, I mean, I should probably get married again. Yeah. Th- so, he, I should probably get married again and, like, try to have other children. And so, like, one of the candidates on that list of potential wives was his niece, Elizabeth of York, per contemporary sources. This was not a popular idea. Uh. Um, you know, for obvious reasons. Like, a lot of people were like, dude, no. No. <laughs> bruh. Um. Too soon. But it's like... It was suggested, you know, they were like, well, I mean, this would strengthen your link because then like all the people who liked Edward the fourth, your brother, all the people who liked Edward the fourth, Elizabeth is now the oldest surviving child of Edward the fourth. And so therefore she would be his heir. So like theoretically, like this could be like a thing that would work, you know? Yeah. Like you can kind of see where he's coming from in a non-murderous light. Right. But also because, you know, Elizabeth of York um, and the Woodvilles, like they were like, well, also you you killed two of our children like the children you know these two princes like they and also they so eventually oh so they, they thought it was richard they thought it was richard um and eventually they were won over by the lancaster faction who you know had henry the guy who would become henry the seventh mm-hmm. at this point he was the earl of richmond um so they had him and he was the kind of the lancaster to claim it to the throne and they were like okay 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 how about this we marry your claimant to the throne and we marry we marry Elizabeth of York to him and then you unite the houses of York and Lancaster and then we don't have a civil war anymore. Ah, you know? What a nice And then the solution. house of York was like, I see your point. They were like, this is a good idea. And also because we hate Richard's guts at this point. 
Um, you know, so like um, some of it was also a propaganda campaign. And so that was the idea that and so then because Henry married Elizabeth, who at this point, again, was the oldest surviving or the oldest known to have survived child of Richard, the uh, 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 sorry, not not Richard of Edward the fourth. See, even I'm getting confused. She was the oldest surviving <laughs> child of the last legitimate king. And so, and, you know, and yes. then, and then Henry, because Henry has this like pretty weak claim to the throne, but like, he's got like, mil- he's, he's got an army. So, you know, but then if he marries yeah. the, theoretically the heir to, uh, Edward the fourth, then his children will be heirs to Edward the fourth and it's all good. Right. I say um, the logic. Might I say yeah. I feel sorry for Miss Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just I mean. very much a pawn in this. Yeah. Uh, based on what I know, like, from historical sources, like, people were like, yeah, I mean, you know, like, it was a diplomatic marriage, like, it was a marriage for, like, she was traded off as a pawn, but, like, she theoretically, like, they, apparently they got along, you know, they had, like, five kids, they had, like, five kids together. That's Um, good. And, like, were apparently functional as a couple, which is more than can be said for a lot of the people in this episode. True. And in our previous episodes. True. Um, but so, so, Rich, so, you know, in 1485, uh, Henry crosses the English Channel from from um, from France, and uh, you know with his army, and um, they are then Richard faces him at the Battle of Bosworth, uh, and Richard dies. He probably was unhorsed, but probably did not say a horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. Right. Um, and uh, you know, and then so Richard dies, and so Henry's like, hey, look at me. I'm this cool new king, or I'm this cool new dude, you know, who very who who wants to be king, and like look at my engaged, like look at my fiance, and then now my wife, who is the heir of the last legitimate king. So like clearly this is like legit. And then people were like, yeah, okay. They're like, okay, oh, sure. You <laughs> yeah. Know, sure. And so, so he, so that that guy was Henry Tudor, or he became King Henry the Seventh, who was the father of King Henry VIII, who was the father of Queen Elizabeth, who was the monarch during Shakespeare's time. So that was the idea of they wanted, they so that this was all recent history for Shakespeare. So they were like, oh yeah, let's keep legitimating. Let's keep making it like legit so that like Henry, Henry didn't, like Henry didn't, um, you know, take England by force. Henry VII rescued England from a bad king. Right, right. Right. So that's what happened with that. So actually, Richard only ruled between 1483 and 1485. So like one of the shorter reigns, he only he only reigned for two years. Right. And then, you know, was sent packing. Well, <laughs> yes. Yeah. A polite way to say it. Yeah. So that's that's the story of Richard III. Mm-hmm. He is generally considered to be the last Plantagenet king, uh, you know, because the guy who beat him founded the House of Tudor, which was not like directly descended not i mean it is through elizabeth but like not through like the male line or whatever All right um so he's considered the last plantagenet king and then after that england was ruled by the house of tudor um interestingly there is a there is actually a, a group called the richard the third society that is like dedicated to rehabilitating his image Aww. which is really interesting <laughs> yeah it's cute just like he wasn't as horrible of a king. Shakespeare take, Shakespeare did him so dirty. <laughs> he was like, fine. He only ruled for like two years. So that's the story of Richard III. It is. Um, and with that, yeah. we have come to the end of our answer choices for this episode. So allow me to ask you, Sophie, which yes. bad monarch in Shakespeare least deserves their bad reputation? I'm going to go with B. Macbeth. 
mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, I can see the I can see the reasons why people would frame them as bad monarchs. I think, as you noted um, earlier, then um, every you know, and as we've noted in previous episodes. Um, it's never a good thing to be the, the last monarch of a dynasty because people are going to play, find some way to blame you for the end of the dynasty. Yeah. <laughs> right. People are going to find some way to make it your fault. Um, so that's never good. Uh, and all three of these monarchs were the last monarchs of their like dynasty or era or line or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but I think the one who has been most maligned is Macbeth because Shakespeare paints him as this like human disaster. <laughs> you know, he paints him as this like horrible person who's like, you know, this, this guy who's both man, who manages to both be weak and also like evil. Yeah. Like or, too you know, violent. Or, power hungry and violent and everything like that and he just seems like he was just a cool guy who was like you know to be fair his like some of his predecessors were trying to kill him yeah and (laughs) we're like we're trying to eliminate your entire family uh and then he was like you know that's not cool and fought back and became king and then you know like you know ruled for 17 years Mm mm-hmm and apparently, like, Scotland was cool with it because he got to go to Rome. They were like, it's okay. We'll hold down the fort. Go to Rome. Come back. Yeah. Rule for seven more years. It's all good. Exactly. So I think, I think you know, Macbeth seems like the one who was like, a, he had the chance to be a good king. And, you know, so I think it's unfair. It's very unfair for Shakespeare to portray him the way that he did. Yeah. What do you think, Lindsay? I share your opinion um, for much the uh-huh. same reasons. Um, Richard III, I think, was off off the table. He just, he ruled for so short a time and there was so much intrigue that, you know, eh. Right. Um, and then Cleopatra, she certainly was not a bad monarch from what we've seen, but I didn't, you know, she didn't do that much for Egypt. You know, shortly after her rule, it fell and became like an integrated Roman colony and lost a bit of its independence. Whereas like mm-hmm. Macbeth Foley, as you pointed out, like prosperous enough to give alms. People liked him enough not to usurp him. They had him for 17 years. Everybody seemed cool with him. So not only was he not a bad king, like the other monarchs weren't necessarily bad monarchs. He was actively a pretty good king. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that is our hot takes on Shakespeare. We would love to hear your hot takes on Shakespeare. Uh, we have a poll up on our Twitter at Pixie Podcast. And yeah, please add us and uh, let us know what you think about this. Absolutely. Also, yep, if you yep, like yep. if you like the sounds of our voices and want to hear more of us, we do have a Patreon where you can access mm-hmm. uh, bloopers and outtakes from our episodes as well as exclusive Patreon-only mini-sodes that come out on our off weeks. So you can hear an episode from us every single week if you are interested in that. Our Patreon is right. also Pick C Podcast. Right. So this episode was written by us, Lindsay Jones and Sophie Lee. The audio editing is done by Elisha Bonnet. And the outro music that you're hearing is by David Hillowitz. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.